Hi, everyone. We have a guest with us today who is going to fire us up about living life. When Kelly Cardenas walks into the room, we've got the energy going. So we're so happy to have him with us here in our studio here in Carlsbad, California. Kelly's in the house. I've always wanted to say that. So I got to say that. I mean, you really are here physically. Yes. It's so exciting. So welcome. Thank you so much. We are in the greatest place in the world. I, I, people always ask me where I live, and I always say it's right next to heaven. And I, I, <laughs> I love that. I, I never knew why people didn't talk about Carlsbad, but now that I live here, I understand why we Carlsbadians don't talk about because we, we want no want one to move to here. Yeah, <laughs> we want no one to know. It's this pocket of heaven, and it is the best. I've, I've lived all over the entire world growing up, and I've never wanted to be home ever in my life until I moved here. And that's a true story. I've, I could have lived out of a hotel. I was in kind of. I lived in uh, different residence every two to two and a half years for my whole entire life until I was thirty years old. And this is the only place that I've ever said um, I'm now patterning my career around having people come to see me as opposed to going and traveling everywhere. That is so fantastic. And I bet the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce is going to go, oh, man, we need that. Well, Kelly, what, you know, in the first place, tell us about a little bit about yourself and how you landed here in this wonderful place. Well, my wife, uh, you know, I, again, I traveled all over the place. I'm a, a hairdresser by trade. Um, but when people ask me my specialty in, in hair, it was, it was that I just love people. And I believe that that was a, a place where God put me where I could be around people and connect with people. And it was a it was basically a conduit. You know, most people like, oh, do you love hair? I mean, it's, it's nice. I like it. And I can help you to be able to feel more sexy than you do right now. That's my whole job. But it was always a, a median to be able to connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Uh, we were living in Las Vegas at the time, my wife and I, and on our first anniversary, we came to San Diego. And uh, we, we went to SeaWorld, and we stayed at one of the Hiltons or the Hyatts. I can't remember which one it was. And she told me on our first anniversary, I would love to live in San Diego at some point. Well, 14 years before, what was it, 12, 13 years before, I had lived in San Diego, and I used to do hair there. And then I got uh, sent out to uh, open the salon at the Mandalay Bay in, in Las Vegas in 1999. Well, when she said that, I thought, why don't I get a hold of all the people that I used to do their hair and ask them if they'd be willing to get the band together, back together, if I would come in once every six weeks, I'd fly in at six, uh, five o'clock in the morning, I would do hair until six o'clock at night, and then fly back to be back in the salon the next day. And I did that for three and a half years, and wow. I started it off without telling my wife, um, you know, that I, that's why the, my whole thought process, but the whole thought process was to get the San Diego primed for us coming back. So it took me about three and a half, four years. And then we um, found a place actually in La Jolla, which La Jolla is a beautiful place. But I I was just about to sign a lease. And the way that God works, with me at least, is I have a plan. And and then he helps me to understand that he's in control. (laughs) And the guy started backing out on terms. And so I got frustrated. um, And I just checked Craigslist. And I checked Craigslist, and I just typed in salons for sale in San Diego. One popped up. It was a 10-chair salon in Carlsbad, which I had never heard of. And um, it said uh, two-and-a-half-bedroom apartment 
and a two and a half car garage and a 10 chair salon. I was like, this is one of those Craigslist scams. Yeah. <laughs> well, I checked it out and it was true. And wow. see, I had this plan on La Jolla. God knew that, you know, he had another plan. And he not only provided the salon that we had, but also provided the apartment for us to transition where we didn't have to have two residences. And so that in in itself for me was, you know, I'm going to have these plans, but if I stay in the moment, God's going to lead me. And um, if I... If I take control every single time in every location that we have throughout the country, every one of them has a story like that where my choice would have messed it up and God Mm -hmm. stepped in and saved me in every time. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Interesting. It's amazing that I don't learn the lesson, though. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Because I just said it it every time. But we have to keep being hit over the head sometimes. Absolutely. So, Kelly, what's... You know, when when you come across people, when you meet with people, what's the most common question they ask you about what you do for a living? The first question is, what would you do with my hair? I was going to ask you that, actually. (laughs) They throw it it out, and and every woman does the same thing. They'll grab it from both of their shoulders, they'll throw it out in front, and then they'll kind of look at me, and they'll do that lip thing, you know, the one when you know you look good in the mirror? And they look at me and say, what would you do with my hair? And hearing this so many times, we actually said on a plane, so we were flying, uh, this was before 9-11, so you could have mm-hmm. shares on the yeah. plane. Yeah. And we were flying to through Seattle to Vancouver, and I was flying with two other hairdressers. And <laughs> we said, before we got on the plane, I said, the next person, I said, the next person who asked me that question, I've got scissors, I'm going to cut their hair right then. And I've got them in my bag, so I'm going to cut it right then. And I'm going to say whatever. And so this lady walks up on cue. I can't believe that this – I can't believe because God – but this, the um, <laughs> flight attendant walks up, and she asks because we're all dressed in black, and you see the way that I'm dressed and the way that I look, which I'm either going to a funeral or, <laughs> you know, something. So the lady asked, what do you guys do? And I said, I'm a hairdresser. And I was waiting for it. And she said, what would you do with my hair? And my friend looked at me like, are this you going to do it? Moment. I said, meet me in the back of the plane, and I'll show you. And so I got up, got in the overhead compartment, got my scissors out, went to the back of the plane, and I cut the woman's hair. And while I started cutting it, which all women do, they, the other women started asking, what is happening? Can I get it too? So I cut three of the flight <laughs> attendants on the plane. Oh my and when they walked out, there's that line down the way. All the people started seeing that this was happening, and the women walked down like it was a catwalk. They had a new look. They were on fire, and everyone was clapping for them as they went. So oh, that's, great. that's the number one question is, what would you do with mine? And, and my response most of the time, I mean, that's, that, that was a, a great experience. But most of the time, what I do is I take into account the lifestyle, right? So, you know, Robin... When we sat down, I would ask you, where's your lifestyle at? What, you know, how much time do you spend on your hair? And what's the most important to you? Is the length the most important or is the style the most important? Or it could be the color. And then we customize exactly for you as opposed to what's on the runway today or what the new trend is. I'd much rather you feel sexy in you as opposed to you getting something and it be about like someone down the street is wearing it. But it's kind of like, you know, a personality. You could like someone's personality, but if you try and be them, it doesn't really work. You've mm-hmm. got to have something that's tailored to exactly who you are. 
That, that's a great definition of what we say at the Servant Leadership Institute here is we meet people where they are. And so you are doing that, not like forcing, well, this is what's hot right now. But it, I made that mistake one time. I had my hair done like Nicole Kidman with these Victoria curls and something back in the day. It was the 80s, and it was not my look at all. It was awful. <laughs> I went home like, you know, I walk in the door, and I'm crying. And my husband, I, you know, what's wrong with my hair? And he's like, it's not that bad. Which is never what you want. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I love the fact what you're talking about is, is you're, you're meeting people where they are. You know, you're not just forcing something. And that, that's such a great leadership lesson as well, I think. Well, as I was looking at it, and you guys as principals too, is, you know, listen to understand. And, you know, in that listening to understand, we're, as a hairdresser, I really have to listen to understand what you're actually saying and what you mean by what you say. So there's a lot of women who, you know, will come in, sit down and say, you know, hey, I want to be the blondest possible. But what they're saying is I want to be the blondest possible that I can be, not what a girl that's five years old or seven years old that's sun kissed by the sun, you know, every day in the right. summer. And we really have to look at what the person is meaning by what they're saying. So, you know, it, within the servant leadership is most people are listening to hear a break so they can interject. <laughs> and I love that you guys are constantly reminding me because I mess up on this all the time and that I have to listen to understand where you're coming from and to understand where that foundation is. And if not, if I don't know who you are, then I can't create the best thing for you. Mm, great point. And it coincides so well with servant leadership because we need to be, as leaders, we need to be that way with our folks. I need to know what's happening with you, what's, what's really happening with you in order to challenge you, in order to equip you the way you need to be equipped. And I'm sure you do the same thing with your stylist. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, it, it runs down the line when you guys look at what you're doing with servant leadership. I mean, adding value to others. Really, the only way that you can add value to others is by finding out where they're at, finding out their strengths, mm -hmm. amplifying their strengths and covering their weakness. And that's what we, you know, we've implored and we learn it from you guys as far as, you know, helping somebody as opposed to making somebody have to be strong in a place where they're weak. We just bring someone who's strong in that area, cover them. Mm. And now I just get to be me. Right. And just, you know, I get to be me. You get to be you. And if we're all parts of the body, like the hand isn't mad at the foot because, you know, the, the foot gets to do something the hand doesn't do, you know. So we're we're OK in that uh, arena. But. I wish that it was a perfect science. I wish that we could just have like, okay, I add value. You know, I listen to understand and everything's <laughs> going to be okay. We've got to understand as I've understood with you guys is that it's an ongoing process. It's every day. And then when you find out this every day, it's every hour and then it's every minute and then it's every, it's every second. second. So well said. Well, Kelly, as you know, an industry icon, author, international educator for John Paul Mitchell, I mean, a lot of a, a salon owner, husband, father, a lot of roles here. Um, tell us about, as you talk about in your book, The Six Indicators for Business and Life, what is the why for you? What, how do you describe that for you? Well, the why for me was always so confused. Well, it was confusing to a lot of people when I would ask them about their why because they would think that it was this huge, crazy, you know, thought-provoking uh, area. And <clears throat> what I want you guys to understand is my why is I want to be able to have enough money that when I go to the carnival that I can play the games until I win. <laughs> and that was it. 
because as a kid, I grew up in a uh, family, you know, at one point we were in a one-bedroom apartment with five people. And my mom worked, you know, 16, 18 hours a day. Um, me and my two brothers slept on a, a twin mattress, uh, two twin mattresses pushed, to get, pushed together with no box springs on the floor. And I was the youngest brother, so I'd sleep on the crack. And my mom would sleep on the couch in the front room, and sometimes she wouldn't have enough energy after 16, 18 hours to pull out the, the, the height of it. So she'd just sleep on the couch. And when the fair, the carnival, flower festival, I grew up in Lompoc, California. I want to give a shout out to Lompoc because I'm going to be the guy that puts Lompoc on the map. So Lompoc, California, there's a thing called the flower festival and every year it would come. And my mom would give us maybe two or three dollars. That's all she had. And she would give it to me and my brothers and we could go to the fair. Well, my brothers were smart. They would get a little bit of food. They'd save a little bit of money, and they were very responsible. Maybe they were listening to Dave Ramsey at the time. <laughs> I wasn't listening to old Dave Ramsey, although I like you, man. I, I wasn't listening to you at the time. I went right for the games. And I went right for the games with the leathery guy with one tooth that would uh, do the game, and he would show you how to do it. And he'd be like, all you have to do is this, Sonny, and you'll win. And I'd take my $3 or $2, and I would try, and I'd try. And you know, if you only have $3 at a fair, you are not going to win. And what I used to do is there was one that I remember, and I will win this, and I can win it now because I made a replica. But it was the cover the spot with five discs. It was five uh, metal discs, and you would cover the spot with the five discs, but it had to be perfect. And the guys at the fair would do it exact every time. Bam, bam, bam. It's so simple. And then you would do it, and you'd be like, ah, can't do it. <laughs> and I made a replica of it in that one-bedroom apartment, and I'd practice for a year to then come back again. But again, only having 2 to $3.00. It was very tough because I didn't have enough repetition to be able to win. And so that was my motivator in being successful in my life is I wanted to have enough money where when I went to the uh, carnival, then I could play until I won. And nowadays, my wife does not like to go to carnivals with me. I mean, and I tell you, nowadays, I win every single one of them. I go home with the big hippopotamus. I go home with the, you know, the huge uh, alligator, um, all the things. I got a... triple extra large Steph Curry jersey for my seven-year-old son. I mean, he will never fit in this thing. (laughs) But the fact that we walked away and one of my friends, it was great because one of my friends, I I was in probably $300, $350 on the basketball game one time. And all my friends were around me. And I finally made the shot. And I was so excited. I didn't care about the $350, but I cared about making the shot. And the guy starts ringing the bell, the the Carney guy starts ringing the bell. And my friend is that one friend that we all have that whispers in my ear, you could have bought that thing for like $4 at the store. There's always one of those. (laughs) That's the first year bubble. (laughs) And the carnival guy dropped carny wisdom. Oh, This is the one thing I want you to take away from today. He leaned into that guy and he said loud, so the whole crowd could hear it, he said, you can also buy a trophy, but that doesn't make you a winner. And it hit me because... Uh. It's honestly, it's not about the, the prize. It's about the process. It's not about the end goal or the, the success that, you know, wow, I want to have a million dollars. It's the process and how you become, you know, how, the type of person that you become. So when you're talking about a servant leadership, think about your thoughts. It's not about you becoming the most successful person in the world. It's your thought process and being able to get there. And can you help others to be able to do it? And so my why, seriously, is as simple as I want to have enough money to be able to go to the carnival and play till I win. And I want everyone out there to realize that your why doesn't have to be super complicated. It just has to be connected to you and personally to you. So I can laugh about it, but seriously, it drives me every single day. 
I think that's great to break it down like that, Kelly, because there's so much about what's your purpose? Know your why. What's your purpose? And it's stressful for people. You know, they feel like, like, oh, my God, I don't know what is this. You know, I I feel that sometimes, like, what's my why? But when you just break it down. You know, it's got to be personal to you, like your hair, yeah. whole analogy. That's a wonderful <laughs> analogy. I love it. So in your spare time, yeah. you decided you'd write a book. I mean, why not? <laughs> you know, This is all my wife's fault. Oprah can do it. Why not? <laughs> but tell us a little bit about the six indicators and what you hope people gain from it. Well, um, I was in, uh, I write about it in the book, but the, uh, in Tecumseh, Michigan, I was in a hotel and the way that God works with me a lot of times is he'll just give me a, he'll, he'll give me a word. And that night he gave me these six and said, mm-hmm. you know, and it was so clear because I'm a pretty simple guy. Like I'm a believer, not, I'm not just talking about from a faith standpoint, but I'm a believer, meaning that if you tell me that, Hey, Superman's outside, Kelly, mm-hmm. then I go out and I, if he's not there, then I don't call you a liar. I think, wow, he left. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. that's for me, that's exactly where I'm at. So um, you know, when when I when I got the word, it just became so clear because uh the Lord was able to let me know that there was really nothing outside of these six indicators. When you read them, there's nothing in business, there's nothing in relationships, there's nothing outside of it that you couldn't sum up because you can these are ways, not they're not the answers, but they are um, almost like a speedometer for you to be able to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm functioning at this level in my life in this area. And just like with servant leadership, it's never going to be like, a, okay, I read the six, I've got them, and now my life is okay. Yeah. No, you're going to be working. Now, I think it's almost um, a tough point for you to read them because then it's going to be a mirror. And that's what the book mm-hmm. I believe um, God wanted it to be for me was a mirror in my own life. And we started to implore all of these. We started to implore the culture, the vibe, the process and procedure, the um, you know productivity, uh, innovation, and ability to adapt immediately. We did that in our company. So I did it for four and a half years. And then I wrote the book after four and a half years of study mm. in my own company, imploring in my own life and seeing it. And um, it's my wife's fault that the book was written because I kept saying I wanted to write a book. And so she said, why don't you stop talking about it and go do it? And so I wrote the book in six days. Really? Wow. Wow. But I did it with a purpose. When I yeah. did it with a purpose, <clears throat> I finished it in six days. Because, and I stayed out in the side yard. And I had an extension cord on my computer. It wasn't a laptop. It was an iMac. I called it my laptop. But it was a 27-inch iMac <laughs> that I took out in the side yard with an extension cord from the garage. And I sat and I pounded it out. And I don't type well. So I, my dad taught me to put my hands like this. And then go like this. So I peck at it with one finger. And the whole reason why I wanted to complete it in six days is when I had an interview like this. And ultimately, when it culminates to having an interview with Oprah or with, uh, uh, with Ellen, which I will, mm-hmm. then they ask me about the book. And the book will have changed so many lives. And I'll say, I did it in six days. And so can you, if you put your mind to it. Six days, six yeah. indicators. There Keep it simple. I love that. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about a couple of the indicators here um, that really stood out to us. And, you know, I think um, that the vibe, you know, this is a great book for everybody to read. That again, just breaks it down, you know, because business books can get, you know, just so monotonous and heavy duty. But just tell us about the vibe. I think yeah. the vibe was uh, was huge. I, I think uh, what was it? Was it Maya Angelou said it's not about uh, 
what you say. It's about the way that you make people feel. Mm. And, you know, that was a huge thing to me because, you know, there was times where I would deliver a message, but sometimes I would deliver it. I deliver the exact right message, but I deliver it maybe with a different tone. Mm. You know, so, um, wow, what is this? What is this? The difference in the tone can change everything. Absolutely. Um, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) It can change a tone. And what I started to notice is that uh, where I learned this from is with my kids. When my my son last night, we were driving him in, I call it our truck, because when we bought the truck, the general manager gave him a set of keys and he was like, Dad, it's our truck. He's seven. So (laughs) he likes this truck more than anything in the world. Um, and he grabbed a hold of the cup holder and he pulled on it and it, it popped open and he instantly went into tears. He said, I'm so sorry, dad, I'm all this stuff. And I had an ability at that time, there was a, there was a vibe in the car of, oh my gosh, I just broke this. I'm in trouble, all these things. And at first being a human, I'm thinking, boy, you need to be careful. And I wanted to do it that way, but I had to realize the vibe in the truck could be changed simply by my reaction. And so I said, everything's okay, son. It'll snap back in. And then we stopped the car. We snapped it back in. I said, see, son, everything's good. But what did we learn from this? And he said, you know what, dad, we're careful with our truck and we do this and that. And then he had a different vibe, uh, you know, different feel. And I find that there's so many business owners or managers or uh, directors or things like that that don't realize that they have the ability to construct a vibe as opposed to just reacting to what vibe is happening. Right. You know, and that's that a game huge. changer, isn't it? And that's a lot about what we talk in servant leadership, taking that, that pause, that moment to think about your thinking and reflect. Is this useful to say, you know, and that's a great way to put it again, break it down. It's a vibe you can create with your team, positive or negative, depending on how you respond to situations. Absolutely. I mean, we changed, we changed, I mean, little tiny vibe manipulators, like, um, just this week. So I, I called one of the girls, her name is Selena. Um, she's such an amazing, amazing leader. And I was, I, my, my flight got uh, canceled out of Florida, so I couldn't be to our meeting on Tuesday. And I texted her and I said, Selena, can you run the meeting? And at first she was like, oh my gosh, I'm running the big meeting. We meet with all of our locations, 65 people, and she has to run the whole meeting. And then she texts back, can I do the whole thing with my Darth Vader mask on? Oh, that's awesome. So I said yes. And I tell you, it changed everything. She posted on her social media. She did the whole thing with the Darth Vader voice with the mask on. And she was like, can I do the meeting next week? And everyone was like, wow, I took so much from it. And it was a Darth Vader mask. So sometimes it's about like, you know, a lot of times now I take meetings and (laughs) some of my people don't know, but... I'm either riding a skateboard while I'm doing it with my son, or now I actually take meetings. I got my kids go-karts, and I ride the go-kart while I'm taking the meeting because it changes my vibe. Mm -hmm. I'm in a fun state. You cannot be serious on a go-kart. You can't. (laughs) And growing up, the only people who had go-karts in my neighborhood was that rich kid who wouldn't Mm -hmm. let me ride it. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it goes back to my why. I wanted to have enough money to be able to go to the carnival. Well, I also wanted to be able to have enough money to be able to have a go-kart when I wanted it and ride it whenever I wanted. So it changed. Like, really, I think that if we if we look at that vibe and say, not what's going to happen to me today, but we've actually 
adapted this in our company now. It's not it's after the book, but um, we've adapted it where we actually choose before we start the day, we do a powwow. And in the powwow, whoever does the powwow, they get to choose the music, right, for the day to open. So they get to choose it. It's their music. And then they also get to choose the vibe. So they choose today we want to be efficient. And everyone has to be efficient that day. We want to be happy and joyous. You get to be happy and joyous. So I find that in my life, like, if I choose my vibe when I wake up, then I can construct my day around it. That's fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it truly, truly is. Um, the, other, the other indicator that we found really fascinating, because we deal with this a lot, is culture. And you said anything left unattended will choose its own growth pattern. Tell us more about that. I wish I could just tell you just some theory and make you feel good, but I'll tell you a real story about what's going on right now in my company. There's places where I haven't been as prevalent and, you know, connected. And there's been, you know, places within my own company that, you know, people either got tight when I walked in um, and it's happening right now and I'm having to actually work on it and, and work through it. And when I asked because I walked in and the vibe was off and I could feel the vibe was off and people were tightening and they weren't super comfortable and I just hadn't been around. And then I sat down with all the people and I said, look, you know, I, I don't feel welcome in my own company right now. And if I've done something to offend you, I want to make sure that I apologize and I want to make it better. I sat down with people and they let me know, you know, you, it seems like all the time, there was a couple of kids, they said, it seems like every time you walk in, then you're telling us something that you, we need to do better. So we almost feel like we're on eggshells with you. And I explained, I said, I want to take that in. And I explained to them, I want you to understand if you're a business owner and you have multiple businesses, so we have them all over the country. And I only have 15 minutes a week that I walk into the business, that I'm physically there. Mm-hmm. Most likely as a business owner, you're going to be looking and saying, okay, what can I improve? But what they let me know is the majority of that 15 minutes was me telling, thing, telling them things that they could get better at. And they said, if the majority was you telling us things that we were doing great, which we are, and then you gave us two minutes of things that we could get better, we'd do it every time. So I'm learning this right now as far as culture. And um, I, I, I've done this where I had it in our Chicago location where um, – I uh, I wasn't there for a couple months, and I just because I just go out and you know just hang with them, and it's not to manage it; it's just to be there, and I love the people. And I didn't do it for a little bit. Well, during that time, um, a couple of the kids kind of got their own ideas and said, "Hey, this is what we, this is how we want to shift it," but they didn't want to communicate it to me. And what I noticed that it just started to take on this life of its own, mm-hmm. and I had to take responsibility for that because ultimately. It's not that I have to control it, but if you don't, if you don't have your hand close to it or you don't, you don't have any input in it, um, then, you know, it's going to, it's really going to, it's really going to grow and do its own thing. And then you can't get mad. Like I couldn't get mad at the kids. I mean, this is happening in one of my locations right now and still happening. Um, I can't get mad at the kids for not want, like being tight when I walk in. I can only get mad at myself not get mad, but I got to improve on it to say, you know, I've got to be around, not that I have to micromanage, but I've got to be around more in pumping them up, letting them know what they're doing great and figuratively use that 15 minutes. So if I use 10 minutes to pump them up, five minutes to, you know, my dad says, wrap your arm around them and kick them in the butt. 
But if you kick them in the butt before you wrap your arm around them, then it just seems like you're yeah. abusing them. So. Yeah, so culture's fragile. Huge. I mean, and it's just an ongoing process, you know? I mean, I think that it's a buzzword. You guys hear it all well, the time. Yeah, and, and you, can't, you can't ignore it. It's not something you can ignore. I don't care what business it is. It will take on a life of its own. And it's very likely that it won't be a, a positive thing. Absolutely. Because the non-useful thoughts start infiltrating. <laughs> and that's what people start listening to again. The thing that I think is really difficult is you've created this, you've nurtured this, you've maintained this. Where's the next Kelly? Wow. This has been... It's... it's Incredible that you asked because really that the the next Kelly is is um, I've got to make sure that I'm getting uh, my dad said it's not about what you could get done but what you could get done through others mm-hmm. and I'm in a, a transition point and I haven't really spoke about this publicly and I'm in a transition point in my career and in my life um, because I really feel if I'm going to go to places where I where where God's going to have me to go I'm going to have to release and let this Kelly die. Mm-hmm. And this was the thing that he was working on with me the other day. And I had no idea why he was working on me with it, but it makes sense when you ask the question. Whenever you plant a seed in the ground, you take the physical seed. The physical seed actually has to die before, if it's a plant, if it's a tree, before the tree can grow, the seed actually has to die. It physically dies. Most of us, when we plant a seed saying like, oh, I've got a goal, we think of it as this Joyous thing. And what God told me the other day is when you have a new goal, which my new goal is this kind of thing, I want to speak to the world. Mm-hmm. And he did it He did it uh, to me in a four-stage process, and I'll explain it to you in a second. So when, when he gives me that desire, most people just get really excited. Oh, wow, I got the goal, and now I'm on my way. They don't realize that when you have a goal, you plant the goal, which is the seed. That seed has to die, so there's going to be a death. There's going to be a darkness. There's going to be a tough time that you go through to then grow again. And in every single thing that we think about, there's always a death to be able to create life. So he gave me a four-prong situation. Number one, it was going to be either a house of blues um, uh, or something like a hard rock, uh, hard rock cafe or something like that that was going to be about two, 3,000 that I was going to speak to. Um, then he said that it was we were going to move on to the uh, Mandalay Bay Event Center or mm-hmm. the uh, MGM Grand, which is going to be about seven to, or uh, it was going to be um, about ten thousand to thirteen thousand. And then we were going to go to Madison Square Garden, which was Madison Square Garden was going to be fifteen to seventeen to nineteen thousand. Um, and then we were going to culminate in a, either Soldier Field or a, a like place that was going to be seventy to hundred thousand. I was going to speak to. There's no way that that can happen if I keep my day-to-day things that I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. I've got to die to this, meaning that I've got to empower all the people around me to be able to be lifted up, be encouraged, be lifted completely for me to go to that place. And I've got to be okay when this thing dies. There's a funeral. There's a mourning process. There's all those things. And I've got to be okay. And I'm, I'm literally like as we speak right now, I'm going through that because for – 27 years my identity has been you're a hairdresser (laughs) and I asked my dad this I said you know I sometimes wonder should I stay in my lane Mm -hmm. and my dad asked me what's your lane 
And God keeps letting me know that hairdressing has been a conduit to be able to bring his spirit to so many people. He told me in 1997, uh, God told me that uh, he gave me Romans 9.17, which was that uh, for Scripture put Pharaoh in this place, that when uh, Pharaoh spoke, then, uh, then the people would hear God's voice and not Pharaoh's voice. And he told me at that time, he said he's going to put me in a place that when I spoke, then people had to listen. And when they listened, they'd hear his voice and they wouldn't hear mine. And if I ever got to the point where I thought it was my voice that they were hearing, he would take every single thing away. And little did I know, being a hairdresser in Pacific Beach in San Diego <laughs> on Garnett Street, I was thinking, God, how, are you, how am I going to speak to the world? But he's got a bigger plan. But I've got to be okay in accepting that. And thank you for asking the question because, I mean, honestly, like it's, it hits me right now because I've yeah, got to go. No, thank you for sharing that. That's, um, again, your gift in breaking things down in an easy way to understand because I think we all are going through various transitions in life. And if you look at it, it and we hang on, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's fear, all these reasons you don't make the change. And if you look at it as, well, you got to let something die to grow, it's more positive. But, you know, it's it's difficult. And so thank you, Kelly, for sharing that. I mean, I think a lot of people will identify with that piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. Little, I was, it just struck me when you were talking about, you know, visiting the salons and working on the culture and working on the culture and working on the culture. And, you know, at some point, Whatever that may be, you know, it's got to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, that's why I asked you the question. Well, it's a, I think it's a scary thing for all of us because when, like with this, like, uh, I'm, do I know exactly what I'm going to be speaking to these people about? I don't. I mean, it's going to, it's going yeah. to come. The stories are going to come. But every time that I hit a roadblock humanly, when, when we do, we're going on to growing into something new. Whenever we hit a roadblock, what our human side does is say, go back to where you're comfortable. When you hit a roadblock in speaking, which I have in the last couple of years, but I, I mean, I've been publicly speaking for 27 years, like right from the very beginning, I was cutting and uh, doing hair, cutting and speaking. And then it was like a little, I mean, uh, more, a little bit more speaking, a little bit less cutting. And then it got to a point where, I mean, I was just on a conference call. I'm going to be speaking to sports clips, uh, their huddle, but they're not bringing me in to do any hair. They're bringing me in to be the keynote speaker for their uh, huddle that's going to be about three to 5,000 people. So it's that been that metamorphosis, but it's me becoming okay with it. And mm-hmm. as opposed to gravitating back to what I'm comfortable with and I know that I can do, it's allowing God to say, like, I don't want you to be comfortable because when you're comfortable and you know you can do it, now your ego gets involved and it's about you and it's not about me. And I want to make sure that you know, you have that bucket and the bucket has the bottom cut out of it. So your bucket will always be full, but it's because I'm flowing through you. And when you put a cap on the bottom of the bucket and you try and save it, that's when I'll stop pouring it in. That's great. That's such a good analogy. What I thought would be fun, Kelly, to share with our listeners is the story of how we met. And I'll call it one of the boldest moves I've ever seen. Uh, Share that story and then we'll tie it all into what, what people can look forward to at our conference with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it goes right in line with uh, with a certain leadership. I mean, demonstrating courage, right? <laughs> and I mean, demonstrating yep. courage for me is not about me being like, oh, I'm going to beat my chest and I'm a, um, I'm a real rough, you know, and rough character, this, this man. I'm just like a young kid that's like, uh, I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You know? And I think about it like building a guest list as a hairdresser. 
uh, people always like, I have a tough time walking up to someone in the mall and saying hello to them and telling them, I'd love to do your hair. And I think, what's the worst that could happen? They don't become your guest. They are they already don't come and see you. So that's the worst thing that can happen. You haven't lost anything. Right? Yeah, you haven't lost anything at all. So with this scenario, um, you know, we were going to, we heard that Art and, um, and Ken Blanchard were going to speak at the Chamber of Commerce. And I was over the moon. Like, I mean, I grew up on Ken's material. My dad was into it. He let, uh, my dad used to do a thing called sleep teaching, which was way back in the day in 1984. He cut a hole in me and my brother's wall because we were, he had adjoining walls. He took a, a, a auto reverse Walkman, which those of you out here who's listening, you remember a Walkman. You don't, Brian. But um, so he took the Walkman, he broke the headphones, he strung it through the wall, put one in my pillow, one in my brother's pillow, and had us listen to millionaire courses every night, and we could not turn off the tapes. So every night from fourth to sixth grade, I had to listen to millionaire courses every single day, every single day. So a part of that was Ken's material. And it was called sleep teaching. It works. Actually, it's genius. We thought my dad was crazy, but it's subconscious learning. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, I mean, it's a whole nother level. We could spend a whole podcast on that. Um, but uh, I, I knew he was going to be there. I was so excited. And so I grabbed one of my books in the kitchen and I started signing it. And my wife was like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm signing this book to Ken. She's like, Ken. And I said, yeah, Ken Blanchard. He's going to be at the place. And she's like, what What are you talking about? And I, and I wrote out a message. Thank you so much for everything. And I told him all the reasons why I want to thank him. And my wife was like, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to, today, I'm going to force him to be my friend. I said, if I'm in the same room, I'm going to find him. And she's like, okay. She's been with me for 10 years. So she kind of has just signed off to it. Um, Every time there was a speaker, what I noticed is that everyone was silent in the, in the audience, so there was no time to move. So after Ken spoke, Ken and Art spoke, I went to the bathroom or acted like I needed to, and I took the book with me, and I stood on the outside, and I found him in the room. I found Ken in the room where he was, and then I waited for someone to give an award, and when they gave the award, there was commotion, so I ran over to his table, knelt down so no one could see me, and I said, Mr. Blanchard, I just wanted to thank you so much for all that you've done. Your principles are amazing. We implore them in our company, and I wanted to thank you, and he said, wow, what company is it? And I said, thank you so much for asking, and I pulled out the book, and I handed it to him, and then I shook his hand, and I left. Well... Probably about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes later when the, when the place, when it ended, you know, Robin, you walked over to me and you said, is your name Kelly Cardin? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and you said, well, you just handed a book to Ken. And I was thinking you were mad at me because, you know, yeah. you're kind of, you're, you're protecting him you or whatever it was. Him, yeah. And um, you said something to me that, I mean, I tell you, that was a huge point in my life. Like you said, Ken saw the book and he liked what it looked like. And I was like, yes, like I just wanted to jump up and down. And then you followed it with, we're having the Servant Leadership Institute conference in Carlsbad and we've got a spot for one more speaker. Would you be interested? And I did what what my mom taught me to do, which is calm, think about my thinking, Servant Leadership, right? (laughs) And inside I'm thinking, I wanted to do a backflip. I wanted to hug you, jump on top of you, whatever it was. Not in that way. I'm married. I'm very happy. But I wanted to jump up and down and be like, yes, I'm in. But I want, and I said, yes, that would definitely be something that I would love. Let me check my schedule. Let me check my schedule. schedule. I I had already checked my schedule mentally. I don't care what I was doing. If if it was my kid's birthday, I was like, we're going to have the birthday at the Servant Leadership Institute. Um, So I, I want you guys to understand that most of the time, the things that 
um, the things like my, my, my mentor taught me that the helping hand that we're always looking for is at the end of our own sleeve. Yeah. And most of the time we just count ourselves out because we think, oh, how would someone react? Well, what I started doing, because I want my, uh, my book to be like Ken and New York Times bestseller. And it's not yet. It's not a bestseller. Well, it's a bestseller in my family. <laughs> so what I started to do is a thing called dropping knowledge. In that same vein of what I did with Ken, I travel a lot and I carry these books with me. And I sign them and say, read it, enjoy it, take notes, take a picture, hashtag uh, the real Kelly Cardenas, take a picture of it, and then I'll leave it in another airport. But I leave it on the bestseller shelf in every bookstore in the uh, I airport. love it. Oh, that's so smart. I've got to share a little just insight from my perspective at this event we're talking about. It was a Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce Small Business Award. And as you said, Art and Ken were uh, the featured speakers, but I was sitting next to Ken at lunch at the table when you came over and handed the book. And my first reaction was, oh, that was very bold. But I started looking at, you know, Ken's an educator. He picked up the book right away. He's going through the table of contents, starting reading it. And so I gave him his due time with it. And then I asked him, what do you think? He's like, oh, look at all this, Robin. This is good stuff. So that's... Can you record him saying that? (laughs) (laughs) So that was so... I just want to let everybody know, watching that, it, it motivated me to not miss those moments of taking advantage of the situation. He's going to be there. I have this book. I want to get it to him. You could have just like, oh, I don't want to bother him. But that was very bold and courageous, and and look what's come out of it. And we're so happy that you're going to be one of our featured speakers at SLC 19 in Carlsbad, California, March 4th. Don't miss it. You can register now. It's selling out, folks, I tell you. The more people are hearing about it, which we're all word of mouth, we don't have big ad budgets. We just count on people to share the news about this conference, and it's it's going to be really exciting. Yes, it is. And don't forget that you uh, can pick up the six indicators for business and life by Kelly Cardenas. I'm sure that uh, you'll gain oodles and oodles from this book. Yeah, where do they get this book? So they could get it on kellycardenassalon.com um, or kellycardenas.com. Uh, that's where we prefer it, um, you know. And uh, you can do the audio. We, have the, uh, we don't have the auto, audio book yet, um, mm. but we do have the, the e-book also. I like the paper. I mean, I like that part of it. Yeah, take um, notes and yeah. highlights and all that stuff. That's cool. Well, we're so excited for you and kind of – want to get your take as we wrap things up here. We'd love to hear from different voices and people out in the world. Like, how would you describe servant leadership as we, as we look at that? You know, that's one of the most often asked questions we get. What is it? I really truly believe that this, this concept of servant leadership will change the world. And, you know, I believe that it has the power to, if we implore it, if we connect with it. And, you know, it's, it's as you move up in an organization, or that's what we, I think he's even changing that thought process. It's as you get a larger position, you just have more people to be able to serve. I believe that really, if, if every single leader, if every single manager, if every single owner would implore servant leadership in their companies, um, we wouldn't have the challenges we have today. We wouldn't have the, uh, the, the kids wanting to buck the system. We wouldn't have the kids saying, oh, man, I need, just need to be independent um, because you had people and organizations that could really give people the ability to be able to thrive. And when I look at it, like, um, you know, within servant leadership, you guys talk about the fact of being able to increase your influence. And when you have leaders like yourselves 
who are willing to, you know, share an audience as opposed to saying like back in the day, it used to be, you know, hey, I'm a CEO. I got all these people under me, you know, all these people work for me. Well, what I took from you guys with servant leadership is we changed one word in our company and it changed everything, which was no one works for me. They all work with me. Mm-hmm. And I believe seriously, like if you're a leader out there and you don't come to this conference, there's going to be a company that works next to you that will. And when they do, their company, because of the servant leadership, is going to overtake it. This is going to be that next revolution in business. This is going to be that next thing that takes business to a completely different place. And when they ask, because everyone's looking for, I think, a very complicated way to, oh, we need to find out the complicated way to do it. And beware if you're a person who says, yeah, yeah, I I don't know if I'm going to go to that conference because the business next to you could be the one that did. And when they did, that's going to be the new standard. I believe in, you know, 10, 15 years from now, the standard in business is going to be servant leadership. And that's what's going to take not only our businesses, but our country and the world to a completely different place. So well said and so exciting. I mean, we we know that. We feel that. We need a, p- people like yourself. We need you to make that transition and get out there and share the word with, <laughs> with people because it, it's so exciting. Any parting words here, Kelly, you'd like to share with our audience as we wrap up here and i know they're gonna love seeing you at our conference and you can give us highlights of 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 that or you know what what's on your heart to share well i think that uh allowing yourself to um to stay in the moment um it's a cliche but stay in the moment and realize that um the best thing that you can ever gamble on the best thing that you could ever bet on is you and um when i say that like you know with ken i could have waited i could have bought a pr agent I could have employed a PR agent and said, hey, by the way, I want to some way get to Ken, whatever it was. And my wife told me this, and this is her her thing. She told me that the best PR person is going to be you and your authentic self and just being able to build trust in people through you being yourself. And I'll leave you with this that my wife said. It doesn't. It's not right in line with that, but I tell you, it's probably one of the most profound things that she ever said. And she just, she's the wisest woman ever. You should have her come and speak at one of the uh, conventions. She said, people won't hear what you say. They won't see what you do. They'll only hear where they're at. And for me, that was probably one of the biggest things because I used to come off stages and I used to ask people like they said, hey, I'm so excited to, you know, that you talk to me and I'm inspired. And I would ask them, what did you take away? And 85 to 90% of the people would tell me something that I never said. And I'd get mad. But now I don't get mad. I just realize that they're hearing not what I said. They're not seeing what I do, but they're hearing where they're at in their life. And when we can go to where they're at, like servant leadership does, then we can change the world. think that's a great <laughs> note to end on it's let's do this let's change the world thank you kelly for coming by uh sli studios today and and talking with us we've so enjoyed it and we're looking forward to seeing you at the conference i can't wait, I can't wait. 2019 and beyond get ready to change <laughs> lives because yes. it happens every year yes thanks everyone for being thank with you. us we loved having you with us and having you on us on the journey with us today We hope you enjoyed this episode. Registration for our upcoming 2019 Servant Leader Conference is open. The theme this year is, Are You Able? It's a simple question that holds a lot of weight. 
visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to get all the details about how to register. Thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day.